And hello, everybody. Welcome to Sister to Sister. This is Trish Carr with Women's Prosperity Network. And every week on Tuesday, we have a conversation about racism, mostly in America, but we've spoken to many people outside the US as well to get their take on racism. And I'm really excited today to have with me my guest, Patricia Iyer. Patricia, Pat, thank you so much for being with me today. You're so welcome, Trish. I've been looking forward to having this conversation. Yeah, me too, because, you know, it's an interesting thing. You know, you were raised a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, and you broke all the cultural, all the religious, and all the racial barriers when you got married in 1970 to a man who is South Indian Brahmin, right? Yes. And Hindu, and that, again, was back in 1970. Um, and you've raised two children, two boys, and how cool is this married for 50 years? That in and of itself deserves, while you're managing your amazing business career as an entrepreneur, a nurse, so what, someone who's helped other people your whole life, and he, get this, everybody, Pat is the author of 50, dare I say 50, it's probably more than 50 books now, right? It's 50. Yeah. It is 50. Wow. So, and I know for you, you're working on another and um, people who want to build their business with a book and believe me, it works like, you know, one book is great. More than one is even better. And that's what uh, Pat does is she's a book coach an editor and a ghostwriter. And you can obviously, I would love for you to get in touch with her if you've got a book in your head or even if you've started it, if if you want to get that book done, Pat Iyer is your woman. So go to Pat Iyer, I-Y-E-R.com. And I'll make sure I put that in the chat as well. But really today's conversation is about what it was like for you, your husband and your two boys who grew up in a, I love how you put this, a lily white New Jersey community in the 70s. So yeah, you were breaking racial barriers back then. And I remember when I was a kid that my mom had one woman friend uh, who was in an interracial marriage. Her husband was black and she was white. And, and I met him, you know, met them probably in the late sixties. And at that time they were really unusual as it was for you in 1970. I'm sure that you had some immediate challenges being married to a Hindu man from India, yes? I did. And my husband came out of a culture where marriages were arranged. There are still arranged marriages among Indians, although love marriages or love matches are more common. My husband's family didn't know anything about me until the wedding was over. We knew that if we told them that we wanted to get married, that they would object and they would tell him that he shouldn't do that and that they had a girl picked out for him and she was not white and from New Jersey for sure. So we sent them a telegram after the wedding took place that said we got married. So by the time they found out it was a done deal and I'm sure it was quite a shock for them coming from a very traditional part of India that's really bound by these are the rules and this is how you should find a mate. Horoscopes have to match 
my husband as a Brahmin is the highest caste of the caste system, which is still very much alive in India, although has softened somewhat. So they wanted him to marry preferably um, a nice Brahmin girl who was a doctor. That would have been the ideal in their culture. And they ended up with a white daughter-in-law who they had um, no idea uh, existed until after we got married. So what a challenge for creating a relationship with them then, huh? It was. We went over in, to India for the first time in 1972 so they could meet me. And what I remember most about that trip is that we'd sit around the dining table. They treated me um, in an honorary position as a guest. Normally what happens at that time was that the women were in the kitchen making the food and then they served the men and the men sat and I was allowed to sit with the men. And then when that meal was over, then the women got to eat whatever was left over. So I remember sitting around the table and being aware that there were pauses because they were talking in Malayalam, which is one of the major Indian languages. And I would look up and nobody was talking and they would all be staring at me. So I would say to my husband, what are they saying? And he would say, oh, they're talking about your hair or they're asking about how come you don't have a ring in your nose or they're looking at your watch. And it was uncomfortable. Uh, I was always under inspection. I was this creature who had been dropped into their midst of, all right, well, this is our son's wife. So we need to be nice to her and welcome her. But Let's just examine her and, you know, figure out what she's all about. And then you, you know, so they met you a couple of years in, and then a few years later, you had children. Your first child was 76, you said, yes? Yes, my first son was born in 1976, and my mother-in-law came over from India when he was seven months old. She stayed with us for about seven months. She arrived in... September, just as the fall was beginning in New Jersey. And she stayed through that winter, which happened to be the winter where we had two big snowfalls with like 24 inches of snow at the time, which was completely out of her understanding. Yeah. She thought it was beautiful. She spoke a little bit of English. She said, Pat, it is beautiful, but it is cold. Well, that's what happens in the winter. And I remember from her perspective, if you, if you want to look at racism from, from her angle, is that she got stared at in this little farming suburban community that we lived in in New Jersey. I remember her walking into a, a department store and there were these farmers with their suspenders and their jeans, just with their mouths dropped open like she's walking in in a sari. They had never seen a person in a sari before. And they stared at her and she said, Pat, they are looking at me. And I said, yes, they are. They're curious. They haven't seen somebody who's Indian before. Uh, so she had her own experiences with trying to, to fit into a white culture, having come from a very different culture. Yeah, you know, those things, it's crazy. I, um, as you're talking about this, I remember a friend of mine 
<laughs> first of all, I married a Jewish guy. I'm Catholic, married a Jewish guy. And for the first two years that we were dating, his mother was still looking for someone else for him to be going out with. He was not happy that I was not Jewish. So that's one level, right? That's one level of the differences between people. Then I have a friend who was Jewish and his girlfriend was Chinese. And his father was like, I'm not even so upset she's Chinese, she's not Jewish. So that's the next level, right? And they got looks and we were in college at the time and people would say, oh, he's in, in an interracial relationship. And I'm like, what's interracial? She's American, he's American, right? She was born here. Mm -hmm. But then you get people who are dressing differently and looking differently, plus they have brown skin. So that's a whole, not and that's, you were in a, even though you were in New Jersey, you were in a rural area, but people think New Jersey, big city, right? And it's not all big city. So it's not like it's an acceptable thing. So what was it like for your kids growing up in that lily white community? Our kids were raised without prejudice. And when our first son went to kindergarten, the first week he came home and he said, mom, what's a nigger? Oh, wow. And I said, why are you asking me that? He said, well, that's what the kids are calling me. So we talked about that word, what it meant. We talked about prejudice. We talked about people not understanding. And he kind of processed all of that. He, he, my two sons have very different personalities. My older son is outgoing and personable and charismatic. My younger son is much more introverted. So my older son was starting to get bullied on the school bus. And he came home to me and he said, well, you know, they're picking on me. And we again talked about colors of skin and prejudice. And he said, well, what do I do? I don't know if you've ever had a kid say, what do I do when I'm being bullied? My responses are, were less than adequate. You know, I talked about, should you fight back? What happens if you hit back, you know, sharp words. I didn't feel at that point in being a parent that I was particularly effective in helping him understand how to respond. A couple of days later, he said, mom, I solved the problem. I said, how did you do that? He said, well, I hired a couple of bodyguards. He got two kids who liked him, who were bigger than him, who said, leave him alone. And that was the end of the conflict, the physical conflict on the bus. He always had trouble making friends, more than a couple of friends at a time, but he found some local kids in the neighborhood and he hung out with them. When he got to high school, he went from a grade school with approximately, there were 60, there were 40 kids in his class. And he went from 40 kids in the class to a regional high school that had 600 kids in one class. And now the pool is much bigger. And he did well in school. He did find um, some friends. He was part of the National Honor Society. And one of the girls in the National Honor Society said to him, I'm having a party, but my father says that I can't invite you. And my son said, why? He said, well, we don't want any niggers at this party. They didn't invite the black football player and they didn't invite my son. And that was one of his traumas from growing up in this area was feeling excluded. 
Ironically, uh, 45 minutes away from us is a big Indian community. Uh, Middlesex County, Edison is very well known in central New Jersey as having a large Indian community with sari stores and groceries. And uh, at that time they're renting out Indian videos, movies on videos, if you remember videotapes. Mm -hmm. We would go there occasionally for meals or to see friends, but if we had lived there, and my husband and I were talking about this the other day, we don't know if our kids would have experienced the same kind of prejudice being half Indian, half white, or if the Indian community would have been more accepting of our sons. But we chose to live in a rural part of New Jersey, which was much more beautiful, not congested, where the kids could grow up and play in the stream and run in the fields and ride their bikes and, and not feel in any way threatened by traffic or a lot of people around them. Mm -hmm. So we go back and say, yeah, we can't do it over. Would it have been any different for them? We did go to one birthday party when my older son was about six years old and the kids at that party were nice to him. The adults were nice to him. And then one of the adults looked at me and realized that this white woman was connected to one of the Indian men. And then they froze my husband out. So I don't know if it would have made a difference where we lived. We just did the best that we could with, with our older son and then our younger son went to kindergarten, came home the first week, said, Mom, what's a nigger? Oh, wow. I had forgotten the whole conversation with my older son. I went through the same thing with him. He says, Mom, they're calling me toast. Well, my kids are halfway in skin color between my husband and I. I just, before we got on this Facebook Live, I was curious about the statistics because we were very unusual in 1970 as an interracial couple. The statistics now are 17% of Americans are married to somebody of a different race, yeah. whether that's Chinese, whether it's Indian, whether it's black, whether it's, it's whoever. So increasingly it's common to see interracial couples. If you look at the media, I noticed this from my perspective. Yeah. There's lots of advertisements that show interracial couples yes. and, and give that level of support and understanding and visibility. And you do with those messages, you look at those messages and you say, at one point, and I, think, I don't know if you remember this, Trish, it was just never, you never saw pictures or if you saw a picture of, a white and a brown person kissing, your brain went, oh, that's different. Right. Now it's part of our background, part of the fabric of our culture. And the goal is with that is that those are the visuals that people will see. And as people grow up, it's going to be normal. But for me, I have to say that I still notice because it was not my normal coming up as a white woman socialized in a white society. So even though I'm woke, right? Even though I'm progressive, 
I still know, I'm like, oh, cool. McDonald's is doing a commercial with an interracial couple. Oh, cool. McDonald's is doing a commercial with a gay couple, right? So I still notice those things, but eventually it won't be noticeable. Mm -hmm. It's it's interesting you talk about um, your boys being called the N-word and um, it still happens today. I don't know if they're still experiencing it, but I have a really close friend who's Indian. She's from Delhi. And she told me week, a few weeks ago that someone recently, the term they use is sand nigger, that she's a sand nigger, which, you know, so because we have now with all of the issues around Muslims and Arabs and the vilifying and the, uh, you know, the making them evil people since 9-11, it's still happening. Do your kids experience it to this day? Does your husband, are you, is it something you're still seeing? My older son married a Caucasian girl from Iowa and lives in India and is a minister in an ashram in Delhi. I mean, in um, Chennai, he lived in North India for four years and then has been in South India for six years. One guy said to him recently, you speak very good English. He said, yes, I grew up in New Jersey. (laughs) So people approach him in India and they assume he's a full-blooded Indian. My younger son has a long hair and a beard and kind of looks like a yogi and married a Caucasian girl from Australia, and he lives in Florida. I think people look at him more because he's got such long hair and a beard. They, they pay more attention to that than his skin color because he's living in an area where long hair is not common at all. And he recognizes that his appearance is different and he goes out of his way to be friendly and to disarm people so that, that he doesn't pose any kind of a threat. He does that consciously. Right. And he hasn't had any major issues. We also, when we got married, realized that if, and this was another concept, we thought if we lived in the Northeast, our children would encounter less of a problem. At one point, my husband had an opportunity to move to Virginia, to the rural hills of Virginia, And we thought, no, we don't really want to go there as an interracial couple. We thought we would be having less problems in New Jersey. And, you know, we recognize every once in a while, if we're together, we'll notice people looking at us, but it's so uncommon. We don't even pay attention to that anymore. But I don't know that either of my sons at this point are encountering any prejudice because of the color of their skin. I think they've, as adults, they've, they've learned that this is who they are. They have gifts and they have talents. They're unique, just as every person is who's listening to this or watching this later on the replay. We value people as individuals and the skin color just simply disappears. Well, yes and no. I mean, your <laughs> son in Florida, you mentioned that, you know, he does what he can to stay under the radar. So he's consciously making a decision that uh, he wants to fit in, you know, and that's that one next level that white people don't have to deal with. 
right? As a woman, I know you can relate to always feeling you had to do even better than a man because you wouldn't be acknowledged, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, as a woman, I get it, the whole privilege thing. Um, but as a person of color, that's another layer of that privilege and one more thing that you have to overcome. So, it, you know, it's so interesting. We are, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, we all have the same things in common. We wanna be heard, we wanna be loved, we wanna be accepted. And I don't know what the answer is to, to, to make that be who we are and to not necessarily see past color because I certainly honor culture and people's who they are and where they came from but to be able to just accept people and not label them in a group that makes them lower or makes you better than. So that's why we're having these conversations. That's exactly what this conversation is about. And I really appreciate you sharing what your kids went through and you as a result went through. It can't be easy to watch your kid be treated that way, right? No, it's not easy. And in one way, I think your reaction to what I said points out that, that we sometimes come from a position of privilege as a white woman. I have not encountered what a black man would encounter in this country. One of my very good friends has been stopped by the police because he's been driving his Mercedes. He's African-American. The two times that it's happened, the policeman said, well, something doesn't look right. Who owns this car? Mm -hmm. So it couldn't enter the policeman's mind that a black man could own a Mercedes. And in one case, my friend was driving to a meeting with a mayor of one of the big cities in New Jersey. And he said, well, if you want to verify my identity, here's the phone number of the mayor. Here's his name. Oh, no, sir. That's fine. No problem. Uh, the driving while black expression comes from people being stopped, particularly in New Jersey is where it originated. So there are many things that I personally have not experienced that, that people who have skin different than me have experienced. My husband talks about experiences that he's had and he's been in this country for 50 years. Nobody bothers with an 80 year old Indian man at this point, younger points in his life He's had some looks, some comments, and he comes back to them just like my sons have learned to do or anyone who has encountered prejudice for whatever reason. You mentioned um, something about a, a Jewish guy who married an Asian. I had a nursing school classmate who was Italian who married an Italian boy. They were both Catholic, you know, like a perfect match. Her mother-in-law detested her because my friend could not speak Italian. <laughs> so while we talk about color, you can encounter prejudice for any number of reasons and, yes. and have to deal with it. Yeah. She did not have a good relationship with her mother-in-law. Her mother-in-law died a few years into their marriage. We went to the wedding in the Roman Catholic Church, the day that my friend got married, and part of the ceremony is that the new bride kisses the daughter and the mother-in-law on the cheek. 
her mother-in-law actually pulled away from her in front of all these guests so that my friend could not kiss her. And I thought, wow, because she can't speak Italian, she was never accepted by her mother-in-law. Uh, it's, you know, the, the feelings are hidden and they're deep and they're, they're condition, there's conditioning that we have to overcome. Yeah. Being able to see people as other humans, I think that's the point that I wanna make. You can connect with anyone, I believe, when you look into them and you see them as humans and with the same needs and desires as you do, even if they're from another part of the world or completely different than you, we're all driven by those same motivations to be loved, to be accepted, to be able to live our lives, to have freedom that we want, yeah. It all starts with us, doesn't it? Really? It's up to each of us as individuals. Yeah. And we can talk all day long about systemic racism and what's going on and how there are systems set up to hold people back. When we have conversations like this, when we speak to each other, sister to sister, person to person, and we I think it helps to open people's hearts and open people's minds to be the change, to be the solution. So I really appreciate you, Pat, being here and sharing the experience of your family and especially what it was like for your kids because it continues today. You know, it continues now. Like, even though you said your husband, you know, he's advanced in years, you know, he doesn't get the same attention that he once did people are still getting the attention all along the way. So I so appreciate you. Any last words you'd like to leave with everybody before we go for today? I think it's to be clear and to be rooted in your power as a person, your ability to respond to each person. It's one interaction after another. It's the opportunities to be kind. Uh, I know your sister whose book I just finished editing makes the point of you can be the one to somebody else to make them feel special, to make them feel treasured, to respect them, to communicate with them. All those interactions add up and you have the opportunity and you're in control of whether you react to somebody else's prejudice or you respond with prejudice to somebody else. That's in you in terms of how you react. You can't control other people's reactions, but you can't control your own. And when you do feel yourself reacting, ask yourself what's going on. Just take a breath and ask yourself what's going on because you yourself are overcoming years of socialization, right? You're, you grew up in your own little bubble and something is coming into your space that is not in your bubble. Just ask yourself, what's going on here? Stop. So thank you. I appreciate you so much being here today, sharing your experience. Thank you all for watching, for being a part of this conversation because it's with each and every one of us as individuals, when we have these kind of conversations, when we look at clearly pulling back the curtain, what we're feeling, what we're thinking and where it comes from, we realize that we really are all one and we are all the same when it comes to 
being loved, being in belonging, being heard, being listened to. So thank you, Pat Iyer. I appreciate you and I appreciate all of you. Please give us your comments uh, below. I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on this subject. And I look forward to seeing you again next week with another episode of Sister to Sister. Thank you, Pat. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure.